Thank you for tuning in to Sound Stories. I'm Stephanie Cicerelli, your host, and today I'm joined by not one, but two guests. This is very exciting for us. So I have from the International Justice Mission Canada, Sunali Swamanathan, and she's the Manager of Marketing and Communications. And I also have Michaela Colthurst-Reed, who is the Communications Coordinator at International Justice Mission Canada. Welcome, ladies. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And you did a great job on my last name, by oh the way. Oh my gosh. Well, you know how many times I practiced it. <laughs> um, I'm particularly excited to have you here because IJM, or International Justice Mission, is something that is very dear to my heart. And um, just so everyone knows, at a disclosure, uh, I am a supporter of IJM. And recently, I had an opportunity to go down to see some of the work that they do. And it just so happened that you had all been at some kind of a storytelling conference recently, too. And so when I found that out, I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, I would love to have them on to talk about how they're using story to help to get more awareness, but also maybe more supporters for for what you do. And so um, Uh, IJM is a not-for-profit organization. They do not make revenue, monies, all these fun things that a lot of us business folk often think about as as being very important in that way. But the work that they do has a greater currency uh, from what I can see. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, Sonali, could you just explain a little bit about what IJM Canada does? Sure, Stephanie. So um, IJM is the largest uh, global anti-slavery organization in the world, and and we're really committed to protecting the poor from everyday violence. Um, And that, uh, to a lot of people, doesn't make a lot of sense. When they think everyday violence, they wonder, what is that really? Um, But everyday violence is not being able to go to school and pursue um, being a little girl, for example, um, because you are being uh, trafficked. Um, from home by someone in your family or, or a relative, um, or it's, uh, you know, working um, day in and day out on, on Lake Volta as a little boy instead of, again, you know, going out and playing soccer with your friends. We work to bring justice um, to the, the world's most marginalized, and, and we really want to ensure that everyone has uh, the liberty to be free. Wow. <laughs> you would just think everyone should be free, but clearly people are not, and it's heartbreaking, but... Uh, you're about to give us a, another heartbreaking statistic. So, Sunali, how many slaves are there in the world today? There are nearly uh, 47 million children, women, and men that are uh, in slavery today. And that is actually more than the population of Canada. And this is why you need to fundraise, fundraise. And, like, it's uh, it's such a big problem. But we know that there are ways to solve it eventually. And uh, I think it, it is... a uh, if you can eliminate poverty, then you can eliminate violence. Absolutely. I think I think poverty underpins violence, but but there is also changing of, of, of a mindset that needs to take place. Um, I think you need to understand that people shouldn't own other human beings mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Um, and that's part of, of the problem as well. But poverty certainly underpins the whole whole situation. Absolutely. Uh, now, something I did want to stress with everyone here is that this storytelling podcast is about how to use your resources really wisely. So uh, for IJM, obviously, they're not, uh, you know, making money in the same sort of ways. They're, they're getting money from supporters, really. And so the, the finances that they have to work with are, are very tight. And for some of you who are listening, I'm sure you can relate to being bootstrapped or, or any other number of, yeah, anything else in, in that um, kind of department there where you know you don't have a lot of money 
but you need to use what you do have wisely to tell your stories effectively in order to affect change of some kind. So uh, to kind of kick this whole thing off, I'd, I'd like to just ask you a bit about that. I know that you do have limited resources. So uh, what would the trade-offs be for you? Like, how do you decide what you're going to do and what you won't do? And how does that affect the way that you can tell stories? I think one of the one of the things that we make sure uh, to plan out right from the get-go is what are we going to talk about throughout the year? We have uh, different casework types that we deal in, um, and we want to make sure that we share all of those stories. And so we really plan that out. As projects come along, um, one of the things we have to constantly assess is, one, do we have the time to do it? Because with being a non-for-profit, um, it, it really is, from a marketing communication standpoint, just Michaela and I. Um, and we need to make sure that we actually have the finances to even take on a project of, of, of that sort. Um, but initially, it's it's really just we use social media. Um, we have our, our monthly mailings that go out. Um, to tell our stories. But other than that, it's word of mouth. So it's talking to people. It's getting out there and just talking to people. Everyone in our organization is very passionate about the work. Um, and I would say, uh, if if I had to speak on behalf of everyone, I would say all of us are, are quite liberal in, in sharing what IJM does with everyone that we meet because it is something that we're so passionate about. Yeah. I would add, too, that we have a really great connection across the country with churches and donor networks, and our directors of development are doing amazing work across the country connecting with these people. And so them telling those stories everywhere in Canada, and in turn, that's setting off like a chain reaction to those churches and those major donors spreading that word to everybody that they meet, too. That does a lot of our work for us. Mm -hmm. So really, you do have to know your audience. And we say this all the time on this podcast. If you don't know who your audience is, you don't know what to say to them frankly, or how to, you know, move them in a certain way. Uh, you use all kinds of tools, though, to do this. So uh, imagery, you have, uh, obviously, in social media, this is very important because uh, no one will look at an update unless it's got an image these days, you know, be it a, a cat or a dog, or <laughs> maybe a, an alpaca, I don't know. Um, but I've used uh, alpacas before. Did yes. you really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. In Bolivia, funnily <laughs> enough. You know what? I can believe it. Uh, so, But I know that imagery is one. And obviously being able to take high quality images to convey a story, like they say, a picture is, is more than a thousand words, right? So that's important. Uh, you have print, you work in uh, online. There are multiple channels, different media that you use, uh, and even podcasts. Like I, I've listened to some podcasts that have been done by iJam as well. So uh, that being said, how is it that you can use these stories that you have uh, to help to to bring more, not just awareness, but in your case, supporters, because all the work that you do is actually dependent on supporters, as many other organizations, you know, rely on, on that too. So, so how do you use story to help to bring them in and develop that connection? Absolutely. Well, I think one of the main ways we, we do use story to have people not just say, oh, that's a nice cause, but to actually join is by presenting the problem very clearly and presenting or framing the supporter, the potential supporter as part of the solution to that problem. So we don't just want them to look at it as something that's far away, but we want them to see themselves as part of um, the IJM team, the IJM family rallying with us to go and do the work on the front lines. It's not just the people who are working in the field. It's us who are engaging the people in Canada to actually be a part of that team and a part of that family as well. 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is through regular communication, like, you know, your newsletters. Uh, I think there's weekly newsletters and, and other ways as well. There are different events that you host too. So, but I was just thinking about this and, and it is really interesting. But uh, when I was in Bolivia, and, and this can probably apply to any situation, but just uh, bear with me here, uh, I realized that I had been hearing a lot of stories, a lot of people sharing about what had happened to them or maybe what they'd worked on. You know, in, in an organization, you do need to talk about your successes and kind of how you do things. And and uh, we can certainly touch on that later, you know, about getting customer success stories and how that works for you. But uh, what I was thinking about was how there are stories that you can tell to a big group of people, like en masse, everyone can hear them. You don't really need to censor anything. It's just, you know, what everyone is able to hear. And then you might have stories that can only be told to a smaller group of people. And those might be more detailed, uh, more poignant, and they might have a little bit of a, you know, kind of, I don't want to say privacy around it, but you certainly wouldn't go off and tell this in a big group because it might endanger somebody, right? And then you have stories that are heard from one person to another, and you cannot tell them outside of that room. And so for me, I was thinking, you know, as someone who tells stories and tells an awful lot of stories, it would seem, (laughs) uh, and certainly our our brand itself is is telling stories all over the world. Um, It really struck me as a moment when I thought, you know what, like, you can't tell every story. Or if you do tell a story, you have to be very careful sometimes uh, when you're you're doing that. Like uh, there's there's just so many wonderful things and, and so many very strange and odd things that I wanted to also talk about. But I know because now I have this kind of filter that I can run something through is that some of these can't be told for a hundred years. It's just the, the way it is. It might, people could be in trouble and danger. You don't want to draw attention to certain things um, in certain contexts. Uh, so for me, I wonder sometimes, like, how does that impact the way that you're able to tell the story to bring people in without jeopardizing the, um, the vulnerability of the people that you serve? Absolutely. So one of the things that IJM actually does have in place is we have uh, a group of of communications specialists at the global level that actually collect all of these stories that that we can share en masse. Um, And they make sure to filter out any of the confidential details that we really do not want shared. Um, And and to your point about, you know, some stories can't be told for 100 years. um, Those stories are stories where we're still probably in process with that case. And um, some of those cases do take 10, 20, 25 years to to actually see justice served. Um, But those communication specialists, they actually collect all of the stories. um, They put all of the details together and then send them our way. And then we get to choose which story do we want to tell um, for IJM Canada, because there are certain offices that we support, like IJM Bolivia and um, IJM Thailand and the Philippines. Um, Uganda, we have the Kampala office there. And then in India, we have uh, Delhi and Kolkata. And then we also have the Dominican Republic. So stories from those areas are typically the stories that we would share with our our constituents. Mm -hmm. And you bring up a great point, because IJM is a global organization, and you are the Canada office. There are other offices. There's office in the Netherlands and, and they're headquartered in The Hague uh, and there are a handful of others and I, I can't think of them offhand right now but but what I do know is that you guys are, are you're clearly working on stories that relate to the areas that you're responsible for and those are projects that can only be funded and exist because you do get donations you you have supporters right and so that 
that is just uh, I know there may be people who are listening who are in a similar situation where literally the only funds that they have to share or to do anything with are those that they've collected, you know, whether they be completely, you know, charity kind of situation or uh, that. But it, it's it's hard to be able to tell those stories and, and even harder still to know that even though the work you're doing is so amazing that there are still so many people you can't help because you don't have as much funds as as you could if you know like it's, it's hard because I saw it you know firsthand yeah. I knew that they can only take on so many cases a year because of fundraising um and and possibly scale like how do you scale but you can help to scale awareness and education through your storytelling so Michaela where have you seen success in your digital storytelling well, I think definitely what gets a lot of success is showing people that we are actually rescuing people and giving them that hope in those social media posts, in our mailings, in our emails that we send out, showing them the stories of what can happen if they do indeed choose to join alongside us and support IJM Canada's mission. And I think that that works so well because a lot of the times with, with not-for-profits, people are kind of skeptical, like, where is my money going and, and what is what is my contribution actually doing? But we really take the time and we take um, the intentional effort to communicate to our supporters and our potential supporters too that listen your however much donation a month actually brought this girl out of human trafficking or it brought her through an aftercare program or it, it freed this family from slavery so I think communicating those stories and we do it on mass but also at an individual level for individual people really moves people to become a part of the movement. Yeah, and I'm just thinking of it in our context and what we would call that for our company and, and maybe some other ones too is a customer success story or some mm -hmm. kind of a profile, a case study, something of this nature. Mm -hmm. So so you're using those sort of tools to help to bring more, uh, well, it's the education piece, but it's also like a fulfillment. It's like, oh my goodness, I, I gave to something. Uh, money didn't just evaporate into thin air. This is the result. You know, the, these 30 slaves have been freed from a brick kiln possibly somewhere. Or like there's any number of um, success stories that I know that I've personally seen. Uh, but that's, that's that's amazing. So are there any in particular that you can highlight here? Huh. Uh, well, I do know that last year we had our largest rescue ever and it was over 500 men, women and children rescued from a brick kiln. So that was and that was right after um, or no, sorry, that was right before we had another rescue followed with about over 300 people rescued from a brick kiln, like a similar brick kiln. So I think that showing those stories of hope, it really um, it resonates with people because they say, okay, so I'm not only just rescuing the one, even though the one individual story that comes out of that a couple months later is so important and it, it's so meaningful, but showing that we are actually making, making an impact and not just us, but the supporters that choose to, to give their money to IJM as well. Mm -hmm. So do you kind of measure the success of, of that campaign or that, mm -hmm. that shared story in terms of how many likes it got, how many retweets, how like the kind of, does, are you driving traffic back to your website also when you're linking there? Yeah, totally. So it is a combination of engagement and web traffic back to that particular story. And I find that you can tell how engaged people are by the number of shares and comments. So it's not just the, the click of like which is it's good but it's kind of easy to do that but when people actually jump in and say yeah like congratulations we're so <laughs> proud of you we're so happy that you guys did this like you do such a good work that's when you can really tell the impact that you've made because people are taking the time to do that and not only comment but share it with their friends and that's a big that's a big deal when people want to own something that you've put out on social media and take it and put it put their name behind it so definitely yeah. and so it really does matter and and what you brought up is is paramount for anybody like if you want your 
your customer, your client, whoever, to actually share the content you've produced, they have to feel proud enough of it Absolutely. themselves that they would then pop it on their profile because, you know, it, it goes kind of like it, it's more than just saying oh I like this passively it's like I endorse this or I'm part mm -hmm. of this or I want you to see this because it means something to me not too long ago you were at a conference and it was all about storytelling and, and maybe how to make it more effective I, I'm not entirely sure all the subjects you covered that week but would you mind Snolly and Michaela just sharing with us what your takeaways were like this was actually a storytelling conference it's perfect Oh, it was, it, it has to be probably one of the best conferences that I've ever had the privilege of attending um, as a, you know, as someone in marketing and communications, because it really did apply to, to any marketing and communications professional. Um, one of the big takeaways that I got out of it is often when we go after a campaign or um, a project, we go with what is going to work for the organization. And what, um, so it was Alan Clayton who did this conference and what he was talking about was starting with your big why. Why are you doing this in the first place? So in our case, it is to end slavery. It is to end violence against the poor. That is our why before you go into the what and the how, but our brains naturally tend towards the how are we going to do this? And what is this going to do for IJM or for any organization really, but we should be focused on the why. So I really appreciated that and starting there. Um, he also talked about how most organizations that start with the why tend to be very successful in what they do. Um, the other piece that he shared that I, I did like was he he told us to to really use details as a way of telling our story um, and uh, to to not eliminate those. Sometimes you, you try to make your story too short. Um, and he he, he talked about the, the value of using details in a story. Yeah, and just to add to that, one takeaway that I um, really got from the conference is the concept of the truth well told. And I think in the non-for-profit industry, especially when we're dealing with sensitive issues such as human trafficking and slavery, sometimes we're scared that we're going to offend people or we're scared that people are going to be sensitive to what we have to say. But I think that's honestly doing a disservice to our work and a disservice to our clients because a lot of the time when we're gathering stories from the field, like Sonali mentioned, this, our communications team that goes to the field and gathers stories from our clients, the clients are telling their own story, right? So we have to honor them by, and we have to honor their bravery by not shying away and not, you know, cutting things out of their story that they actually want to be heard. And I think that when we are not afraid to tell the truth in a powerful way, and we obviously we tailor it to our audience, we we know what our Canadian um, constituents you know, are sensitive to, we know their kind of culture back, cultural background and the angles that they would resonate most with. But the importance of not taking away from the stories in order to to please or to um, to appear like we're we're almost we don't want to vet the client's stories and we don't want to mince their words so that it's actually not the truth anymore. Right. Yeah, you will just like anybody you don't want to sanitize a story right exactly. because yeah. that's where yeah. the grit and kind of the ugliness of it mm -hmm. is there initially but one other thing I've noticed as I was down there is that these people that you work with they come in with one story and they are rehabilitated in some way they're restored and they leave with a different story so you know like you do have to talk about the hard things and a lot of times in our culture we we don't want to do that we don't want to look or we're desensitized maybe we don't even notice some of these things and and believe them to be wrong but that is something that i'm really glad that you mentioned because when you tell the truth uh, well, you're doing justice to whatever that is, um, but you are also being unique 
and that's something else that people creating content want to be right yes. <laughs> you know because as soon as yeah. you tell the truth about something because the truth is so rare these days in certain ways uh that all of a sudden by virtue of the fact that you just told the truth <laughs> you're original yeah. like you've created exactly. something of value and of means and and uh, something that really matters to people and and the more i don't want to say the more raw but the more honest that you are and the more integrity that story has the more weight it has and then you're able to get more people as you said to kind of join you in that mission or that cause and to help to to do what you would like to do which is to put an end to slavery um, I, I would also say that, you know, in telling stories, it's our way of saying thank you to our supporters. Um, and so we want to make sure that we do let them know what that story was as accurately as we possibly can. Um, because if it wasn't for, you know, the, the thousands of supporters that we have, we, we, we couldn't do the work that we do. And those stories really wouldn't happen the way that it played out if it wasn't for them. Yeah. And I was just thinking internally, we have a process, as you mentioned, of collecting stories from people. Sometimes they come to us with them, but other times we need to go and ask them. So do you find that you are more or less asking people if they would share their stories or do they readily come to you? I would say a lot of our, our survivors are, are willing to share their story because they see it as a, a way to help others in that situation as well. And so they want their story told as a, a way of giving hope to others. And that's really what, why they tell those stories and what they want to see. But it's also a part of the healing process for them to be able to share their story. And so we don't want to take that away from them. Right. Um, but in, in terms of Bolivia, when we first started there, the stat was you were more likely to die falling in your bathtub um, than actually getting convicted um, for a case of assault. Wow. That and so that frightening. has changed over the last 10 years as a result of our, our team of staff uh, that are down there working every day to ensure that this this doesn't continue to happen. Mm -hmm. And they're very, everyone down there, very passionate about the work they're doing. I would say anyone who works for your organization has to be passionate about what you do. Otherwise, you could not survive a day working for your company and the organization. Um, but when I was down there, there were actually two convictions. And it was amazing. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to go into detail, but they were hard won victories. And <laughs> uh, I love the noisemakers, the kind of the party that that's went on. But this is what it is to celebrate your customers, yep. your clients. Uh, and then you're able to tell those stories after you've um, reached some kind of a, a verdict in some cases. But I know in others, it, it doesn't always end up that way. But the most important thing for you is that your clients are restored. And that in itself can be a success story that you tell. Absolutely. I also have just one other comment that I wanted to make too, is that while we're we're very focused on telling client stories and field stories, but it's also important to remember the stories of our supporters as well, because that is so powerful. And recently we started a blog series of people who fundraise for us and who do third party events. And, you know, people like yourself who have who are supporters of IJM and who have experienced the work firsthand and are really, really moved by it. And I think that that's an important aspect of our storytelling because we, we can't forget about those people that support us and who have had healing in their lives from being in contact with the work of IJM and connecting to it on a deep, deep level. Because a lot of these people, it is healing for them as well to be able to support us and to give to us and to, to hear the closure of our clients that are restored and they've come through this hardship and they've come through this awful time of their lives stronger at the end of it. 
Definitely. So where can we see some of these stories? Before we go, I want to make sure that everybody here <laughs> knows where they can see the good work that you're doing, mm. but also if they would like to try to emulate the style or the way or just how you're interacting so well with your client base and supporter base, uh, where should they go to see kind of IJM in action? Well, you can, our website is ijm.ca. Um, a lot of those supporter stories that I mentioned are ijm.ca slash blogs. And our, we have monthly landing pages where we set up stories from individual um, clients as well. So ijm.ca. You can also find a lot of those stories on social. Um, it would essentially be facebook.com, twitter.com, and instagram.com forward slash ijm Canada. Perfect. Another aspect of content creation that I wanted to cover with you, because you do create so much amazing, wonderful content that has to be done a certain way, uh, is that like you must have some kind of a brand guidelines, something that you follow. Absolutely. And it's quite robust. Um, I would say everyone that joins IJM, um, one gets one. So we're all familiar with the way that we tell stories and, and what we um, want to portray to our um, audience. Um, so that was probably the first thing that I got when I joined uh, IJM. So I would say I'm the newest employee there. So I did get the brand guideline book and, and it just told us how do we want to communicate? What's our voice? Um, what are the values we want to con convey? Um, how do we want to tell our story? So for example, we tell stories as it is. So we just tell it as it is. Um, we don't try to embellish um, our stories. Um, we try to be very simple in the way that we tell our stories, but not simplistic because the type of work that we deal with is quite complex. So we ensure that we actually share with our audience what that work looks like in a way that they can understand it. So um, we try to uh, contextualize it in a, in a way that they might understand um, that story in the best way possible. Um, and we, we make sure to honor our clients. You know, and that's something that we know. But what we've what I've I found really interesting is that our donors see that every single time we send out a story. And so just recently um, in Vancouver, one of our donors shared a story that he heard from the field. And as he shared the story, he conveyed the exact same um uh, you know, storytelling guideline that we follow. He used the exact same guideline in telling that story without us ever having told him about it. Wow. And that was pretty impressive. That is very impressive. And and you have to be very careful with the telling the story, but you, you want to make sure that you tell the story. Exactly. Right? Thank you for tuning in. And if you haven't already done so, I'd like to invite you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, as well as give us a rating. We love hearing from you and gathering your feedback. Once again, I'm your host, Stephanie Cicerelli, and I hope you can join us for our next Sound Stories podcast.